Did the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence enshrine slavery? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show, of course, by clicking on the support tab there at brianmcclanahan.com. You can also throw a few pennies my way at YouTube by clicking on the super thanks button under the video. Or you can go to anchor.fm and subscribe there. All kinds of great ways to support the show financially, but as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. That will help get more ears and eyes on the show. And also, you can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff by clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. So do all those things to help advertise and support the show and also... If you want to support it financially, you can do it that way too. All right, well, let's talk about the topic. And look, I spent a lot of time last week um, on this issue of the Declaration and Randy Barnett and, of course, the Constitution, pro-slavery, anti-slavery. All this matters because what we're seeing now is a concerted effort by dopes on the left um, to refocus or reorient, I should say, the way that we think about these founding documents. Now, I don't necessarily disagree with some of the things that are being said, but this piece or this statement is completely outrageous, and I'll explain why um, in a minute. Uh, Now, again, if you believe the 1619 Project, you can come to these conclusions. What we're seeing in America is really a war on history. And what's happened, it's amazing what's happened, is New England views have now been foisted on the entire United States, and that's passing as American history. Now, this started really in the period right after the war. In fact, Susan Mary Grant has written a really interesting book on this entitled North Over South. But even before the war, you had people like Charles Sumner and other Northerners trying to insist that the northern version of American history, the northern version of American politics, whatever it was, was the only version of American politics. And I talked about this again a couple of weeks ago with the podcast I did on is this the best refutation of the 1619 Project? Is this the best we have? And of course, it was using Alexis de Tocqueville. And a lot of people, a lot of conservatives will do that because, of course, de Tocqueville is going to say that New England was the best and New England had all these great things and all these virtuous things and the South was always the drag. And so when you attack the Constitution and the Declaration, what these people are really doing is attacking the South because they think that is the only place that you can attack in America and no one's going to say a word about it because South is bad, North is good. I think that some of these people do have a little more nuanced view of it. Even the thing I did... You know, yesterday on uh, this little Disney show, they talked about the North in that little little uh, segment, that little one-minute and 45-minute segment. And that's really what got conservatives upset, attacking Abraham Lincoln, claiming that business is uh, only there or business has only made a lot of money because of slavery, the slave trade. I mean, they're putting some of the pressure back on the North 
and this doesn't this doesn't go well with conservatives. Uh, New Englanders, what I've seen, are interesting in this. They they certainly are willing to show shame and bow their heads and do all the things that they need to do to show remorse for this and put up a sign. But they're not going to take down any statues and they're not going to rename anything unless it's for a Southerner. That's the only time they'll do it. But all their own stuff. I mean, they're not going to rename Brown University, for example. They won't go out and rename all their community colleges if there was a problem. They won't do any of that. But they expect the South to do it over and over again because the South needs to show more penance for this. I mean, it's a, um, you have to do that because the South had this, uh, had this long-standing you know, sin of slavery, whereas New England was able to jettison it rel- relatively early within you know, the first few years of the Federal Republic. And so they led the way in getting rid of it, and the South kept hanging on to this thing. But now when you talk about the Constitution and the Declaration, that's a whole other matter. If, if you say the Declaration is a founding document, um, and if slavery is a founding institution, well then, of course, the Declaration would then enshrine slavery. If you say the Constitution is a founding document, and that's one you could say is a founding document in terms of the United States government and uh, the Federal Republic under which we currently live, unless you want to say you believe in the 1868 Constitution, the 14th Amendment, whatever. I mean, we can get into all these little nuances you want, but if that's the case, then if you believe in William Lloyd Garrison, if you believe in a Garrisonian view of the Constitution, then it was a pro-slavery document. It did enshrine slavery. And this, this, this idea that somehow these documents enshrine slavery, meaning they explicitly stated that slavery was going to be part of the United States, is the position these leftists are taking. Now, I have to disagree with that position, that they somehow enshrine slavery. And I've done a little bit on the Constitution. I've talked about the Declaration. I've said the Declaration, the Proposition Nation, um, is the incorrect reading of the Declaration, or at least of the principles of the Declaration. However, I don't think you can make a case the Declaration enshrines slavery at all. At all. Um, and I'll talk about that. It didn't enshrine anything. It was a secession document. I think it's, it's easier to come up with the proposition nation myth than to come up with this other thing where they somehow enshrine slavery. That's completely ridiculous. The most important thing about this, though, is that the woman who said this is the wife of a man who could have been vice president of the United States, Tim Kaine. He, of course, he ran for vice president with uh, Hillary Clinton. He could have been vice president of the United States. And, uh, you know, now he's Senator Tim Kaine. And, of course, he's trying to push to have Robert E. Lee's name removed from Arlington House. I mean, this guy is an absolute lunatic. He's from Virginia. He's an absolute lunatic. Uh, but this, again, passes for serious intellectual discourse on the left. What, I, what you won't see, by the way, I, I highly, I would be surprised if you, if you would see it. What you won't see is any leftist historians on Twitter or anywhere else push back on this. They won't. They won't push back on it because this is one of their people saying something stupid and they won't say anything about it. Whereas me, I'll tell you when one of the conservatives says something stupid, I'm going to say it. When the left says something stupid, I'm going to say it too. I mean, the problem is we don't have uh, people that are willing to be consistent and um, willing to put aside partisanship for the sake of of understanding here and what was going on. So let's get into this. Um, This is at Breitbart. Tim Kaine's wife denounces Declaration of Independence Constitution. Ann Holton, wife of U.S. Senator Tim Kaine. 
So, anyways, doesn't have his last name. So, Ann Holton. Denounced the Declaration of Independence and Constitution as fundamental in enshrining slavery. Fundamental in enshrining slavery. Holton made the comments as Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin's new history standards were approved 5-3 to three by the Commonwealth's Board of Education, upon which she sits. Again, this is a think locally, act locally moment here. Look how important it is for your Board of Education to, uh, to have some control over that. Your local school boards, your state Board of Education, look how important it is for these things. This is, we're not talking about the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education. We're not talking about some national curriculum standards. This is in the state of Virginia, a, a state that, as the piece explains, has a tremendous role in the history of the United States. And this is why we're doing the 1607 Project, of course, at the Abbeville Institute. But, uh, and that'll, again, that'll be out this year at some point. But the, I mean, this is, this is shocking, you know, that she would say that, fundamental in enshrining slavery. Now, again, I'm not a proposition nation mythmaker, but you can't say that about the Declaration at all. I would suggest, and I have, that they didn't really believe what was in the Declaration in terms of how they acted on it, but that would actually say that somehow it didn't enshrine slavery. I mean, they didn't do any of that. This is just complete stupidity on Ann Holton's part. She's a moron. An absolute moron for saying this. Quote, To an audience as inclusive as our Virginia is, you cannot reference the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution as remarkable documents without also acknowledging that they are fundamental in enshrining slavery and limiting the protections that they provided only to white property-owning men, she said. Now, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's get into this. Did the Declaration enshrine slavery? Well, we know the original draft actually had a pretty firm critique of slavery in it that was abandoned because two states, or essentially South Carolina, objected. But it doesn't enshrine anything. It laid slavery at the feet of George III originally. Jefferson's summary view laid slavery at the feet of George III. He was very critical of it, and he actually said that the only reason we weren't abolishing slavery in America is because George III was pro prohibiting it. The Declaration, if anything else, if you want to make the case that it's, it says anything about slavery, would be an anti-slavery document. Um, it, again, if you believe in the proposition nation, you have to go with that. It's what Lincoln did. Lincoln took the Declaration and said, we have this proposition, all men are created equal, etc., etc., it's what abolitionists used for years as an anti-slavery document, but not Ann Holton. No, no, no. She thinks this is enshrining slavery. Now, again, I would say that the commitment to that proposition nation was tepid at best in most states, um, even in places that they started using it. You know, For example, the language wound up in State Bill of Rights. Um, you had Massachusetts in John Adams' a second draft of a constitution, then use that to abolish slavery. I mean, so... You, you could say that there's almost no way you could draw this conclusion out of the Declaration, even if you don't believe in the proposition nation myth, which, which I don't. You, you can't really draw that out of this. How does the Declaration enshrine slavery? I mean, I could say the Declaration is a remarkable document without even saying anything of that. The mar remarkable part is the last paragraph, or the second to last, which, uh, I'm sorry, the last paragraph, which... which um, uh, has 
in it that we are free and independent states. That's a remarkable part of the document. I could say that. I mean, it is remarkable. You have this document authored by a committee, but primarily by Jefferson, which is a secession document. That is the American tradition. I think that's pretty remarkable. Now, what about the Constitution? Does the Constitution enshrine slavery? Now, I've done a lot with this. No, the Constitution doesn't enshrine slavery. It allows slavery to exist with the international slave trade for 20 years. It has the Fugitive Slave Clause, which is the only thing in the document you can point to, I think, that uh, would say that it somehow enshrined slavery. It allowed slavery to exist beyond 1808. Uh, but really, in the way it was sold to the states, and this is what people have to understand. I was, I was looking at this book that I talked about a couple of weeks back uh, that John Meacham wrote about. And he gets to the ratification debates. And one of the things he talks about in that book um, is that you know there were people in, in Massachusetts and South Carolina that were saying, in South Carolina, they were saying the Constitution is going to destroy slavery. That would mean it wasn't enshrining slavery. In Massachusetts, they were saying the Constitution is going to perpetuate slavery. Well, if you believe in the New England position, then it would be a pro-slavery document. The important thing about both of those is that those arguments lost. The proponents of the document didn't say that. The proponents of the document said it wasn't going to destroy slavery or enshrine slavery. It wasn't going to do either. Why? Because it's neutral. It left it up to the states. The proponents left it up to the states. And so when you say that somehow, you know, you have these people talking about slavery, and this is what people thought. Yeah, it's what people thought, but they lost. Those arguments lost. This is what we have to understand. The arguments that would make these claims lost. So... I find this fascinating that people would use some of these arguments as they do when those positions explicitly lost. The Constitution was ratified in spite of those objections because people didn't think that was going to happen. Massachusetts could still abolish slavery. South Carolina could still keep slavery. So in other words, it was neutral on it. It wasn't a pro-slavery document. It allowed the states in a federal republic to handle their own domestic institutions, which is what they considered slavery to be. You could get rid of it, or you could keep it. Now, we know with the 13th Amendment, which I'm going to get into uh, this week as well, we have a new interpretation of the 13th Amendment, but uh, we know the 13th Amendment did prohibit states from, uh, from having slavery, unless, of course, they are convicts. But um, this is a ridiculous assertion. They're not fundamental in enshrining anything. The states already had it. The states kept it. Every single state, of course, was a slaveholding state in 1776, but the Declaration had nothing to do with that. The Constitution had nothing to do with the fact that um, these states were slaveholding states or you know, primarily slaveholding states when the Constitution was ratified. That had nothing to do with it. Uh, so, I, I mean, to say this is, shows how stupid this woman is, Ann Holton. The sad thing is, as the next paragraph points out, she had a pretty important role in the Department of Education in Virginia before she served on the Board of Education. Holton also served as Virginia's Secretary of Education under former Governor Taylor McAuliffe 
who tanked his own campaign against Yunkin by making anti-parent remarks regarding the education of the Commonwealth's children. <laughs> so, look, education matters. And people, I think Americans overall, don't want to hear this kind of stuff. The Constitution wasn't pro-slavery. The Constitution, though, wasn't anti-slavery. The Declaration certainly wasn't pro-slavery. It wasn't. And you could actually make a case the Declaration is anti-slavery in other ways, too, where they... Uh, where Jefferson essentially talks about their own enslavement to the British. I mean, it's an, it, the Declaration is in no way a document that enshrines slavery. It wasn't fundamental in enshrining anything when it came to slavery. Again, if that's the case, how could the abolitionists use it for years as a hammer against slavery? And, I mean, it wasn't just abolitionists. It was emancipationists in the South. I mean, they, they talked about this stuff. This is the most ludicrous interpretation of the Declaration I've ever seen. The Constitution, um, I mean, Garrison and others made the case that the Constitution was pro-slavery, but not the Declaration. They never said that. They never said it. Again, Lincoln's entire proposition nation myth is based on this idea that somehow the Declaration um, created this proposition nation, which, again, I'm against because I don't think that's true. I think that action spoke louder than words, and I don't think they were really committed to that. But by saying that, I'm actually arguing that you can't say the Declaration was a pro-slavery document. The history standards were written at least in part to correct disinformation and anti-American propaganda injected into the curriculum through the use of critical race theory, something Youngkin ran on during his campaign. So we're getting new standards. Again, important part of thinking locally and acting locally. This is, you know, the theme of the show. And here we have people thinking locally and acting locally in Virginia. It's why Glenn Youngkin was elected because of education. And I've mentioned on this show, I think he's doing a pretty poor job in picking his fights. He could have done other things. Here he thinks he's going to get a win. He knows. He's got a 5-3 to three majority. Why did I say Glenn Youngkin won't go after these, these name changes at Virginia Community Colleges? Because he doesn't think it's going to score political points. He didn't run on that. Why didn't he say the statues should remain up in Virginia? Because he doesn't think that's going to score political points. But here, he knows he's going to win. He's got a 5-3 to three majority. And he also can show that Ann Holton is a moron, which she is. And look, Tim Kaine is a moron. If more people knew this stuff, of course, it doesn't matter in Virginia, but if maybe if more Virginians knew this stuff, they could get rid of these dopes. These people are so stupid, I don't know how they get up in the morning. However, the unveiling of those standards had a rocky start, with the initial revision facing severe black backlash and a rejection by the same school board. Youngkin acknowledged of the initial standards that there were omissions and mistakes. Omissions and mistakes. So they have these new standards, and now the school board, I mean, they just rejected it. Omissions and mistakes, because we had gone in the other direction, I guess, too far. I don't know what the original standards were, what the omissions and mistakes were, because I didn't, I didn't go out and review those. Um, but I can guarantee it was too positive of the Confederacy or something like that. Uh, so that was the omissions and mistakes. The new standards, which were approved to move toward a public comment period, will likely see revisions in April. Youngkin board appointee Andy Rotherman, who was appointed to the board by Senator Mark Warner when he was governor, said that it was, a good, it was good work, but the document needed improvement. He believes ultimately that the board needed to get, to the, get this to the public. So look at this. Andy Rotherman is appointed to the board by Glenn Youngkin, a Republican. Rotherman was appointed by a Democrat. 
This shows you who Glenn Youngkin really is. Why is he doing this? I mean, certainly Rotherman is not, I'm, I'm sure he's not, uh, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, that interested in real history and understanding. He's going to be a guy, sounds like a politician, and he knows which way the wind is blowing in Virginia, and so he's going to kind of go in that direction, though he doesn't want to go too far. And this is Glenn Youngkin. This is why Glenn Youngkin is awful. It's awful. Youngkin uh, is one of the is is a quintessential um, establishment Republican. That's all he is. So people that think Youngkin is going to go in and save Virginia are just delusional. Not when you have someone like Andy Rotherman as your as your anchor, right? Come April, for me to feel good, there's going to have to be a chance to render improvements, Youngkin board appointee and former Salem City School Superintendent Alan Siebert said. Come April, for me to feel good, there's going to have to be a chance to render improvements. So this is five to three. Okay, and, and this stuff is so vanilla. I mean, these things are probably, again, I haven't read them, but I'm sure they're so vanilla that there's nothing really that the left could be, be that offended by unless you're Holton, who's a dope, and she's just doing this to try to score political points. There's really nothing in here, I'm sure, that's that offensive. But to, uh, to these lefties, well, this is good. we got to get it out to the public, and let's see what the public thinks. So if you live in Virginia and listen to the show, and I know there are people that are, go out there and tell them what you think. And if they're too vanilla, tell them they're too vanilla. They need to be better than what this stupidity we're getting. If they're good, then tell them they're good. However, in a Richmond Times dispatch piece written by the Virginia Superintendent of Public Instruction and Executive Officer of the Virginia Board of Education, Jillian Ballow argued that the new standards reinvigorate history and civics as central to the American and Virginian identity. Quote, American history and the tenets of our founding documents are not trivia to be Googled when needed and then quickly forgotten, she wrote. That's a great statement. That's a beautiful statement. I mean, this is what everyone who teaches history would hope that you would get out of the curriculum, that you wouldn't just Google everything. Now it's, you know, AI, it's chat GT or whatever this thing is. Now you're just going to go do that. You're just going to Google it and get some computer, some AI to write up some nonsense. Um, and then that's going to pass. I mean, people are, are going to get... Are, our historical consciousness is going to erode tremendously in the near future because of technology. It already has. I've seen it firsthand. But AI is going to make it even worse. Quote, there is an increased emphasis on civics beginning in the early elementary grades, she continued. As students advance, they learn about the vision of our founding fathers and its relevance today. George Washington is again the father of our country, and James Madison is again the father of the Constitution. So I could quibble about James Madison being the father of the Constitution, but that's fine. I mean, it's one of those myths that, all right, uh, it's, it's a good slogan, a good platitude. Uh, nuanced, no. Um, but, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with it. Um, look, I wrote the Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers in 2009 because I anticipated this kind of nonsense. That book is relevant as relevant now as it was in 2009. And there are a lot of Virginians in that book that I defend. Um, but this is just ridiculous. Uh, that they would even, that the left would even, uh, you know, think this is awful. Such a curriculum revision is perhaps most contentious in Virginia, as many of America's founding fathers 
were themselves Virginians, and many, including James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, primarily wrote founding documents like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Uh, Madison, of course, again, father of the country, he wrote the Virginia Plan, which was, I mean, abandoned for the most part, uh, at least certain parts of it. The structure remained similar, but you had a lot of people involved in that. I could make a case that Governor Morris is as much the father of the Constitution as James Madison. I mean, so th that's, again, not nuanced, but look, if you're from Virginia and you're going to be proud of James Madison that he had such a heavy, such a, a big role in the federal convention, the Philadelphia convention. And of course, Jefferson did, was the primary author of the declaration. Again, a committee had their fingerprints all over that too, but Jefferson wrote much of the language. One of the earliest histories in the founding of a new nation, Virginia is the setting of early colonial America and American trials and tribulations. It provided many intellectual sources for the founding, was also home to a significant number of slaves. It was the capital of the Confederacy and the place where massive resistance began, but it also elected the first black persons to Congress as well as elected the first black person to a governorship of any state in the Union. Now, this is Breitbart. So it's got this uh, very, uh, you know, uh, up and down history, right? It's got all these great things in America. It's uh, initial intellectual source of the founding, but then also it had slaves. It was the capital of the Confederacy. Massive resistance began there. Uh, but it also had these things where elected black people to Congress and black governor. So, I mean, look, this is a conservative publication. This this was a, a throwaway paragraph. Many people, look, having to do that and balance this out plays into the hands of the left. Look, I mean, you're just, you're basically conceding some of these things here. Well, it had this, but it also had slaves. It's also up and down. I don't think there's anything you have to hide about that. People know that about Virginia. Um they know Virginia was a Confederate state. In fact, there are more Confederate monuments in Virginia than any other state. And why? I mean, why is that? Because Virginia was, for a long time, proud of being having that important role in this independence movement. John Tyler, I mean, the former president, sided with the Confederacy. So, um, and, and it was the cradle of secession in terms of the first state to acknowledge independence. The declarer, the primary author, was from that. And, of course, you can see you know, Richard Henry Lee was offered the Lee Resolution, which uh, pushed for independence, but Virginia had already done it, even before the declaration. Virginia had already done it. They were already thinking about that. Jefferson was calling Virginia his country and a state in 1774. Patrick Henry was saying Virginia was essentially independent in 1765. Virginia was leading the way in this push. Not New England, but Virginia. With that as a backdrop, the Youngkin administration's stated goals have always been to truthfully tell history, the good and the bad. Okay. I mean, you can see that, what they're trying to do here in this bright part. But I mean, it's the same thing. The draft also rejects presentism, a historical lens that places historical figures in the dock for trial and condemnation according to contemporary standards, but is unflinching in its examination of eras when Americans did not live up to its founding ideals, including the dispossession of native nations and tribes, slavery, the Jim Crow era, and the race-based exclusion of Asian Americans, Barlow wrote. Uh, so this is, you know, Barlow saying this is what we're doing. We're rejecting presentism, which is good, even though um, it's what all historians do now. I mean, this is this is American history. Again, there's a. I'll get into this book. I just haven't, uh, and I'm going to review it. This new book about the lies of history, or something like that, by uh, Kevin Cruz and another dope at Princeton. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to get into that because um, it's a. Uh, it is 
exhibit one, exhibit A, I should say, of this kind of nonsense in American history. Every book now that comes from the left essentially is a polemic, a presentist polemic. And here you have this. And this is, I agree with Barlow. This is what we, this is a major problem. Uh, despite that, some on the left are using heavily embellished language to describe the standards, such as Loudoun County NAACP chapter president Michelle Thomas, who described the new standards as the new massive resistance. I mean, this is, I mean, Holton saying the things in that statement, it's just ridiculous. It's stupid is what it is. But again, the, the truth doesn't matter in all of this. All that matters are sound bites, talking points, platitudes, slogans, it really doesn't matter what the truth is and what they're trying to do because that's never the agenda. The agenda is politics. The agenda is to have create a whole bunch of political activists and a whole bunch of radicals. And this is where I've said before, you know, people lament the death of professional history. This is why. This is why. Because uh, the conservatives have pointed out or figured out that lefties have used it for years to create a whole bunch of little radicals running around. And um, they haven't really sought to seek understanding in the truth. And look, this statement by Barlow, I mean, there's, I have no problem with that. People can teach this stuff all the time and do these things and not do it as a political activist. What, what Barlow essentially is saying there is we can teach history without having it lead to political activism. We know all these things exist. We can say good things. We can say bad things, whatever it is. And that's what happens. But the left wants to do it as a way for activism, and that's it. Of course, Kane is up for re-election in 2024. The piece concludes, but this is uh, just a really nice summary of the ridiculous things the left is now doing um, and saying about American history. And when one state tries to push back a little bit, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get. But I thought that Holton's comments were way out of bounds um, and completely devoid of any kind of historical anchor, particularly with the Declaration, um, you know, the Constitution, there was an argument about this, but no one would have ever said this about the Declaration at the time it was written or in the 19th century when you had the most, you know, anti-slavery movements going on. I mean, no one would have said that. All right. So, see you next time with the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. Mm -hmm.